Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You guys are all-encompassing. Mackey and Judd. You can listen to this for a little bit of pop culture, a little Correct. bit of uh, what's hip in the city. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Hi, Dave. You got some questions for us? Yeah, I do, Phil. Well, well, thank you for asking. Yeah, let's see, let's see what you got. Twins. Twins. Three of four from the White Sox over the weekend after dropping the series opener and shameful fashion, losing that 5-0-0 as Judd was freaking out on the drive to Iowa. They came back with wins Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Lance Lynn gets his first W as a twin. Gibby, incredible. Or at least pretty good. That's good enough. Uh, What's more true? The Twins are back, baby! Or the White Sox really suck? Oh, I'll get done quickly. The White Sox really suck. They have nine wins. They're terrible. They are the the Twins are, are the Twins' final record is actually not going to be abysmal because the AL Central is so bad. But until you start to beat teams outside the division consistently, I'm not in. The White Sox are a complete dumpster fire. So are the Royals. The Tigers aren't good, but they they appear to be a step above those two teams. Uh, but this division outside of Cleveland is might be historically bad. Yeah, it's and and the twins. If the twins are also bad, it will be historically bad because then there will be four teams that are just complete train wrecks, and maybe they cannibalize each other a little bit. Uh, I lean more toward the White Sox just being atrocious. They're clearly in tank mode. They've traded Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and all these good players over the past couple of years. So uh, their mission is very clear. They want to lose a hundred games and continue to stockpile. High draft pick assets and and maybe even make a couple more trades if they can. Maybe they trade Jose Abreu at some point, but but that's okay. I don't think the Twins have to apologize for what happened this weekend. It should have been it should have been a sweep, but take three out of four from a bad team, and then you get to face Detroit three times coming up. You get to face Kansas City three times before the end of the month. You get a bunch of games. So if you can if you can just stomp on these teams while you get right. Buxton coming back at some point. Maybe he's on the road trip, so he might come back against St. Louis here. Um, that would help your pitching staff. But for now, don't apologize. But it's because the White Sox are mostly trash. But that's interesting. You say the uh, talk about the Indians. They are exactly a 500 team. And with a two-game lead over the Twins right now in the division. Let's say, yeah, sure, the White Sox are trash. But let's say the Twins are back at least to some extent. Let's uh, let's say the worst stretch of Twins baseball is now over for the season. 
the losing streak is over. They'll obviously win some, lose some, but uh, the bad stretch is over. Percent chance they win the division at this point. Wetmore. Are you listening? Wetmore. He's probably in the hallway right now. Just grinding his axe. Non-zero. Um, it's low. It's still low. Still it's, non-zero. It's non-zero, but it's definitely below 50. It's... I would say it, before the season, it felt low even because the Indians just like they've got Kluber and Carrasco and they've got Cody Allen and uh, now, but Andrew Miller is on the disabled list. So maybe that's part of the reason why the door is open. Does he continue to have injury issues? I would say it's like 25 or 30%. And right now, the division looks like the better path when compared to the wild card. Because Houston is the second wildcard team right now. I don't expect that to continue. I think Houston wins that division. But uh, you have eight fewer wins than the second wildcard team does right now. You're closer in the loss column. But like you got some work to do to catch up to those teams. you got less work to do to catch up to the Indians. But I think the Indians are better. So 25-30%. I think that's high. I'd say 5%. I'd say there's a 5% chance. There's So you've got them cooked as well. They're, they're cooked, yeah. You and Wetmore in the same listen, I spent, way. Listen, I learned from my mistakes. And my mistake last year was continuing to say, well, Cleveland's still not playing. And Cleveland didn't play well for a long time last year. And I continued time after time, show after show, to say, they got a chance. Cleveland's not playing well. And as as we discussed before, Cleveland reeled off basically a month straight without losing a baseball game. So I've got them cooked, and I think it's about a 5% chance. Yes, I think it's a very, very, very long shot. So basically, there's nothing to watch this summer. Like, you and Wetmore are just... It, oh, I'm, I'm watching Prospects. I'm watching the Miggy show. Does Miggy come back? Hey, you know I'm what? intrigued. He's a soap opera right now. He's a walking soap opera. The th- there's three interesting pieces here. Well, Sano would be the fourth one. And I'm even like, I've kind of ruled him out in, in a lot of ways. I just... I'm not. I'm kind uh-huh. of dumb. But I would say Byron Buxton, the fact that they were like 3-13 and 13 going into this series... Or three and thirteen after Thursday night with Byron Buxton out of the lineup and seven and four with him in the lineup. Um, it's you know that balances out a little bit over time, but it tells you he fixes so many problems. All of a sudden, Grossman has to play right field more often, and he has a ball go over his head, <laughs> Which right? Which is just awful to watch. So yes. him, Irvin Santana coming back at some point, probably early June, and the fact that Fernando Romero is in your rotation now. Yeah. If, if he all of a sudden is so, there's things in to watch the for. rotation. But but you say things to watch for. I say things that could actually keep you in this thing throughout the summer. Irv will be back maybe as a mid-inning mop-up guy. With how great this rotation no is. No room! No room! <laughs> hey, Lance Lynn's on the board. Kyle Gibson's been lights out. Uh, Mike Schumann, longtime sportscaster for KGO-TV in San Francisco, has resigned 24 years with that TV station. He's been off camera for about a week or so after he was caught stealing a jacket that belonged to the uh, director of team security for the Golden State Warriors, hmm. a guy by the name of Ralph Walker, who also doubles as Steph Curry's bodyguard. He stole the jacket as it was sitting on a chair in the arena with nobody around it. Wait, what? Caught and what on video. And what position was this guy? Uh, the guy who resigned? Yeah. He was a sportscaster, KGO-TV in San Francisco. So he's a TV sports guy in one of the top five biggest markets yeah, in yes. the country. Looking to make an extra buck. Probably making quite a bit of money. Okay. Stole the uh, jacket that belonged to the director of team security for the Golden State Warriors. Couldn't just go to the pro shop and buy his own for mm-hmm. 100 bucks. Okay. Yeah, don't sell those at the pro shop, okay? Maybe wanted to get an autograph, throw it on eBay. I don't know. Anyway, the question mm. is, Interesting. if you were to go the way of Mike Schumann and wander into any of our local arenas, stadiums, etc., and steal one thing, wow. 
what would it be? Oh, is this like the Timberwolves garage sale? A little bit. Timberwolves garage sale. Timberwolves garage sale. <laughs> Can I give you something that I lost track of years ago? But in my uh, days at the Strip, covering the Vikings existed at at Winter Park and was parked in the corner of the facility for ages. It's good enough. Okay, because I would have gotten the keys and stolen this in a heartbeat if possible. They used to have what I'll describe as a bullpen car, but it had a Vikings helmet over the top. Oh, that's delightful. And I don't know if it was, it might have been a Cushman that was specially designed, and I don't think it moved for ages, so clearly this was something that they had maybe at the Metrodome in the 80s or something like that, but I always wanted that sucker. I always wanted to steal that that thing, because I mean, wouldn't it be great to be tooling down the road in a Viking car? And people look, and you're honking, big helmet, going about 30, which is probably the top speed for it. That's what I would have stolen if I could have. One day it was just gone, and I don't know if they sold it off or dumped it off or what. But that's my that's the thing that if I could have, I would have taken. You should have inquired. I should have, and then one day it was just gone, and I forgot about it. But I always liked it. Uh, well, TC Bear's head would be hilarious. <laughs> Why'd you do that? He's just a loyal, walk, just he's walk, a loyal I, listener. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just saying it'd be it'd be amazing. Just walk around with the TC bear head. Uh, I went <laughs> I went with the more functional route here. There's two things, and one of them uh, I don't even know if one of them's going to be in use anymore because Chuck Fletcher is no longer with the Wild. But I go over to the X and I would steal the page of the contracts that are given out to players that involves no trade and no move. Like I would just <laughs> steal it from the template. Burn them. Just take it out. And then uh, I would also go to I'd go to the Mayo Clinic Square Wolves practice facility, and I would steal Andrew Wiggins' bench press because he wouldn't even notice it's gone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Had to turn it into a cheap shot, it's didn't so you? Just, terrible. Just Had to turn it into a cheap. Couldn't help yourself. You wouldn't even notice. Couldn't help yourself. Hey, awfully uh, mean. Did someone steal something from my uh, from my? You know, practice area here. Well, you could just keep Someone it. Someone steal That'd some shoes. Oh, I, don't, I can't remember. I, it seems like something's missing. Oh, I had to turn into a wiggy cheap. It's shot. your key to the weight room, actually. Why don't you none. steal his heart too? Because he wouldn't notice that's gone. Because oh, he's no. got none. I'd steal some of his passion and urgency <laughs> if he had any to steal. How about grit? No grit to steal either. Steal grit. Uh, do we know where's the Kirby Puckett Game Six home run seat? Don't they have that somewhere? Is that? I think that's on display in Target Field. That's because that'd be cool to have. Like. In your living room with your couch yeah, and your lounge chair, seat. and you'd have the pocket golden seat from Game 6, 1991. <laughs> yeah, because up in the fun. second inning, you'd realize, this is really uncomfortable. It really I is, am going yeah. back to the couch. These <laughs> metrodome <laughs> seats are yes. terrible. I don't even have a cup holder anymore. This feels really crammed. And quite frankly, uh, the, the direction of the seats points me toward center field. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> you got to turn the 50-yard line. line. <laughs> These are great seats for football. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really counting down the minutes for Wetmore's apology here in 20. It's going to be very exciting. Let's talk. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. Dave's oh. getting free red cow right now. Holy oh. crap. Dave. Are those that, onion rings, too? That looks so good. Is that a 60-40 burger? I don't know what it is, but it looks oh. delightful. Have you it, heard what's going on down the hall? No. Why, why so is the food keeps coming down to us. Steve and uh, Donna, Donna yeah. are apparently on a juice cleanse. Oh, so they and so the other shows are bringing in all sorts of like. There's a apple fritter here sitting here that was delivered in here because they can't eat it. Also, yeah. so, and now we've got a red cow burger and onion rings. 
This is a little bit. I feel like we did this to Dave one time. You did. Yeah, we did with. Um, it was a clean eating diet that my wife and was, I were yeah. on at the time. And but frankly, uh, are planning to start like tomorrow. I don't wow. want to be. It was going to be today hurrah, until. <laughs> I don't want to be a complete jerk, but we we didn't bring you unbelievable food. Not unbelievable. Like they're bringing some pizza and sure, things from, from the cafeteria. Yeah, but I mean, they're getting brought red cow, red rabbit. It's very mean spirited. Oh, so good. God, I'm really doing that. And that's just what this show needs. That's just what the two guys, the two main guys on this show need. Can I interest you in an onion ring? No, I can't do it. Oh, good, because I wasn't going to bring him in. <laughs> Looks really good. Swing and a drive to center field by Ionetta. The wind has got it, and it's going to go. Touch him all time for Chris Ionetta. His third of the year. As the booze rain down on Hugh Darvish. All right. I want to introduce you gentlemen to the, as I as I count them, the six stages of Twins fan free agency disappointment. Okay? That was a highlight or a low light of Hugh Darvish over the weekend. Hugh Darvish now has an 0-3 record with a 6.00 earned run average. An expected ERA over five, so he's just been pitching poorly. Yep. And he's on pace to allow over 30 home runs this season. Also worth noting, some of the other free agent pitchers in this year's class, Alex Cobb, even after two solid starts, his ERA is still 7.61 on the season. He's allowed 52 base runners in 23 innings for the Orioles so far. Lance Lynn, we've seen that up close. He did have a bounce back start here, but he's mostly been a disaster for the Twins. Basically, no spring for both those two. Uh, correct. Uh, Jake Arietta, ERA is pretty good with Philadelphia, but his strikeout rate is at an all time low for him. Same deal. Yep. It's uh, it's in line with Nick Blackburn. So, uh, so number one, the next time you're stewing about the Twins not being aggressive enough for a 30 year old free agent starting pitcher, just take note of this year's entire class. But that got me thinking about how we, as a market and a fan base, go through the free agency process. All right, tell me if I'm missing anything here. Stage number one, identifying the need. This team needs an ace-caliber starting pitcher, right, which has mostly been the case for 10 years in this town sure. in the post-Johan era. So number one step is identifying the need, the obvious need, for a lights-out, ace-caliber starting pitcher, for instance. Stage two, we skip right to denial, actually. So, so denial is stage two, which is refusing to acknowledge that the free agent market doesn't have any actual aces, that it's mostly pitchers with flaws or pitchers who have age problems or like there's a reason why this pitcher is available and, uh, and not being coveted by the team that, you know, that is allowing this pitcher to hit free agency. Stage three, latching on to the best of the group as part of your denial and ignoring the glaring flaws. So like age, declining performance, injury history. You Darvish. Right. He's Which tipping it, his he's tipping his pitches and if you fix it he'll be fine. And like if you sign into a 5 or 6 year deal, he'll be 36 years old by the end of the deal, 37. That brings us to stage 4, which is more denial. Refusing to acknowledge the obvious flaws that exist with these players. And then you get to stage 5 in the free agency disappointment uh stage process. Anger when the Twins inevitably fold their cards at the poker table and another team pushes more chips in, fans are angry because the Twins should have gone to $200 million for you, Darvish, or that sixth year, right? And then stage six is accountability, which we always ignore. We just sort of stop at stage five, which is anger. Oh, wait a second. Like, 
The Twins are cheap again. Of course, another team got you, Darvish. Well, if we were to go to step six, which is accountability, well, we could maybe go back to Johan Santana and see that, yeah, that contract was a disaster with the Mets, and maybe it was the right decision to not sign him to a seven-year, $150 million contract. Or you, Darvish, maybe the fact that he's off to a slow start after getting bombed in the World Series last year, maybe that's an indicator that a six-year guaranteed contract until he's 37 wasn't the right thing. And I think you and I both agree we would have gotten more money shorter term, like five years, $125 million, and maybe that would have wound up being a mistake. But we never go back and revisit. We just get mad that they don't sign the player that we wanted them to sign without going back and saying, oh, you know what? The Cubs might have some buyer's remorse. They're booing this guy off the field, and it's, it's only the first week of awful. May. Yeah. And, and the thing about Darvish, to go back, is he had that start, I think it was against the Marlins when he was with Texas last year. And a Marlins player flat out came out and said he's tipping his pitches, and he got hit hard. And so he gets traded to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are like, he's tipping his pitches, we're going to fix it. Well, then he gets to the World Series, and I think he pitched in two games and was terrible in both, or at least one, he was atrocious. And they again said, well, he tipped his pitches. The Cubs are going to fix it. Well, have you ever just thought that he might be getting old? Have, he's have not you, that old. He's like, he's in his have you ever just still, thought, yeah. Right, right. But but there's there comes a point with some of these guys who have wear and tear on, on their arms. Uh, the other stage that I would say that you didn't hit on, which might replace uh, stage four, instead of more denial, pessimism. Ah, the twins won't do that. It's going to be two points. So before you get mad, but before you you get mad, you identified the player that you want. You you then have the denial about that player's ability by saying, "Well, he's still the best pitcher out there. Pay him." And then there's the pessimism of, but of course the twins won't pay that player. For sure, they, they're not going to pay Darvish. And so I, I would say the only thing that I would replace is more denial with the pessimism that the twins would actually spend, e- even if the player is not deserving of that contract. Well, Irvin Santana is a, a tricky one. So the, the Twins actually went out with Irvin Santana and Ricky Nolasco, and they did spend, they overspent on two of the three or four best arms on the market that offseason. I think Matt Garza might have been one of them, too, Like, even though that, in retrospect, looks terrible. Irvin Santana, parts of four seasons, one of them he missed 80 games due to a steroid suspension. Now he's going to miss because they put him on the 60-day DL, so he's going to miss at least 60 days this year with a, a finger injury that was reported late and like they didn't get the surgery and they didn't clean it up. And one of those seasons was also a 100-loss year for the Twins. Like As we look back on that Irvin Santana contract, I think this year is kind of the swing year for it. I could go either way on it. He, he helped lead them to a playoff spot absolutely last year. He also got shelled in the most important game of the season when they spotted him a three-run lead. So we sit here and we look at the Irvin Santana deal and say, you know what, because of what he did last regular season, oh, that that's a great contract. I don't know. Yeah, it might not be a great. It, yeah, you know, did I? I don't know if his presence well, prevented you from we, signing somebody better, but like they've had some bad seasons with him. He was he roughed up in a really important I, game. He's I missed chunks of seasons. We get fooled because the Nolasco contract was so horrific. They, because if I am correct on this, they gave out the Nolasco contract first. And then I, Santana came, I think, the next year. And the Nolasco contract was so bad, and he was such a dummy, and was so awful, that I think we say, well, Santana's been pretty good, right? And Santana has been pretty good. But this this all goes back to, if you essentially take your cash and dive into the, into the open market and say, we're just going to spend... 
It's not going to work. And unfortunately, fans are still conditioned to think, well, just spend. Just spend on, on guys. Well, you can do that, but it's going to work sometimes. It's not going to con- consistently work. So, But I do think the, the Santana contract fools us because the Nolasco contract was so awful. And the Fernando Romero, Jose Barrios types are much more likely to stabilize and or bring your franchise to the next level than the you know second or third rate free agents that you're going to spend 15 20 30 million dollars a year for in free agency. I mean the Yankees, you can point to the Yankees, oh well, they signed John, you know they traded for Giancarlo Stanton who you know, so they're paying him 30 million dollars a year whatever. But it's Luis Severino that's the main reason why they're so good this yeah, year. He's been the best starting pitcher in baseball. Up, yes. Yeah. Uh DD Gregorius well, right, who they right. traded for the, in the minor leagues. The indictment against the Twins for a long time now, is not that they didn't go out and spend, it's they didn't develop pitching at all. And now we're starting to see some guys that they did. But if you want a real gripe against this franchise, the gripe is, you didn't develop pitching for years. You didn't find arms for years. Yeah, It's very possible, Irvin Santana, he's had, so let's count this as his fourth season with the Twins, that, that two of the four seasons are complete throwaway seasons. Because one of them was he missed half the year, and they got hot in the second half a little bit, but um, he missed half the year. This year, throwaway, especially if they're out of the race. Like, let's say he comes back, and you know they don't they have a bad week against St. Louis here, and they have a bad month against St. Louis and the Angels. Excuse me, the Brewers. Um, to this point, he's pitched 500 innings in three and a half years. That's not very many. Yeah, it's not a great deal. So I'm just saying. My point here is. Before we get all outragey over free agency, let's understand what matters. It's mostly build that core from within, and uh, and then you you sort of supplement. Yeah. And maybe you Darvish would have been supplemental, but he's been a train wreck for the Cubs so far, six and they year, were just six him years off the though. Field. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to turn it around this year, but it's been bad. It's definitely been bad. He's picked up where he left off in the postseason. Here he is. All right, we'll get Wetmore's written apology to the Twins when we come back here from the Touch Mall Podcast and fifteen hundred ESPN.com. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Hello. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I want to say thanks for uh, being one of the local radio stations that's been brutally honest. You guys have been in it from the ground floor, which is great. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hard to center, chased by Engel, still going back, still going back. Gone, a home run for Eddie Rosario. Two more hits this afternoon and a two-run lead for the Twins. Got it. High cheese yep. for a strikeout. And there's a strikeout. Go back in there again. Sink the ball down. Yep. And another strikeout for Gibson. Got him. Hitting the outside corner two down. Beautiful. Gibby was good. Um, A wild pitch gives up a run. Um, They got an add-on run along the way. But, uh, you know, another good day for him. And, you know, we've... There's been plenty of games in the first five, six weeks here that we found a way to lose. Today we found one, uh, found a way to win. So, nice way to finish up the season. You know, gentlemen, if the playoffs started today, the Twins would be in the fifth wild card spot. <laughs> They're coming on strong. Derek Wetmore is here from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch Em All podcast. And to think we buried them. Well, we, listen, you came on these airwaves last Monday and basically said, I don't even know why they should, they shouldn't even go on the road trip. It doesn't even make tennis. any sense. So did you handwrite your apology, or are you going to just sort of make it up off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, it's an impromptu apology session. I I learned something over the weekend. I, I actually I wasn't able to watch the game live yesterday, so I taped it, and I was VHS. This or is behind. DVR. Yeah, yeah, I actually. Beta. 
Yes. I had them running beta tapes. What are beta tapes? I was uh, I was out at, uh, well, just whatever, a barbecue. And so I ended up watching the game much, much later in the day. So I, I get home to a bunch of tweets. I told you so. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what happened? Like They must oh, have won man. four games on Sunday. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. it's, did they erase <laughs> this entire deficit? And so anyways, I watched the game. I'm up till... 12.30, 1 o'clock, writing and finishing up the newsletter, and I got my five thoughts column on the website for you guys. And I came to a realization in those the wee hours of the morning. It just it dawned on me. You guys ready for this insight? Yeah. Wow. I'm on the edge of my seat. I found out that the White Sox are a bad baseball team. They're wow. very bad at baseball. Yeah, that's that... Uh... It just came to I, me. I need a minute to process it's this. You, how did you I realize that? One of those Rain Man moments where you're just sitting up there a little delirious and yeah. kind of slap happy, and you're thinking all of these numbers just start to make sense. Whoa, 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 it's whoa. almost like the White Sox are one of nine teams that went into the year trying actively to <laughs> trying lose baseball. To lose. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. So if, if you're saying that, are you discrediting Joe Maurer's savvy ability to score from third on, on a ball? Hit to the third baseman, you know in, which, in which the third baseman had no clue what to do with the ball? <laughs> you know what? Are you discrediting Maurer? And he never Hater. should have been at third base in the first place. I gave Maurer credit in the column. I think that it was smart, heads-up base running, but you won three out of four games against the White Sox, and now everybody wants an apology, including you, Phil. A little, uh, little hypocritical, I think, for you to dig in on your takes, and then when one thing starts to tip in the opposite direction... Ask Wetmore to make an apology. Well, I'm not there yet. Well, here's the, here is the this is a reality. The Indians have left the door. If the Indians had gotten off to the same start as the Yankees or even the the Angels or the Astros, if the if the Indians weren't 17 and 17, if they were even 21 and 13 right now, you'd look at this thing and you'd say, "All right, yeah, it's congratulations, Twins. At least mm. you're not you're not embarrassingly buried." Uh, but right now, the Twins and Indians are tied in the loss column, and their best is so early to be talking about playoffs right now. It just turned May, so this is ridiculous. But the Twins' path right now, as it stands, is much better through the Central yeah. than the Astros right now in the second wild card spot, right. which are eight games up in the win column. Anyways, like it's ridiculous to even be talking about playoff scenarios. And your and your point from last week does stand in that. If you were to lose eight games in a row to start the season, everybody would have said, okay, what time does the 2019 season start? Right. It's done. See you in Fort Myers. I'm Look, I, and I have a column kind of in waiting. I, maybe it's published today, maybe it's another day, but like, there's still reasons to watch this Twins team. This is still a good baseball team. My point from a week ago, and I think this is going to get missed, and now that I'm the guy that, that put a fork in them first, is... They just dug such a big hole. You just mentioned, Phil, what was the second wildcard team? The Houston Astros? The Houston Astros might win 100 games this year, okay? So if we're talking about that wildcard spot, my guess is it doesn't go to Houston, but the point stands. The Angels probably switched And the Angels are great. if the if the Angels got off to a bad start and the Indians started on fire out of the gates, I'd, I might feel better about this. I might say, like, oh, you know what? Hanging around in the wildcard. I don't think the Twins have a chance in the Central. I don't think the Twins can... Dig out from the hole they dug for themselves in the wild card. Yeah. I'm, I understand the want for an apology. I'm not ready to write it just short, yet. very, very short term here. Mm. Go to St. Louis and, and go out west and do something. Sure. And I'll re engage more. Sure. As long as the central is, aside from Cleveland, as long as the central is playing the central, 
I'm having a problem engaging sure. because the White Sox and Royals are horrific. But, but, but the reality is, and this is why it, this is why I do think it was premature to say that the season's just over when you have 41 percent of your schedule going into the week against these putrid teams. Um, so, like you're you're going to have series where you take three out of four from a tanking White Sox team. The Royals didn't go into the year tanking, but they're definitely among the teams that are you know bottom five in baseball. So you're even if you aren't as good as the Angels, let's say in the West, you get to beat up on worse teams. You don't have to apologize for that, and therefore the Twins have at least taken their season off life support by taking three or four from the White Sox. And now we see for what sure. happens when they face better competition. And let's be honest, should have been four. You should have walked four. off. Like you oh, should have. Uh, you could have won that game. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. could have won that game. Nothing. And so yeah. here's what I'll say to Judd who said he'd re-engage if they play better against actual baseball teams instead of the junior varsity White Sox. I'm saying that I'm not disengaging from this season. Like I'm still going to be I, I taped the game and was up till after midnight doing columns and getting ready for this appearance. <laughs> it's still a fun baseball team to talk about. They just have so much ground left to make up. And I I think to your point, Phil, it's too early to talk about this stuff, but we learned a lot about these teams last year and in the offseason. I think we tend to forget that. We talk about things, yes, prematurely, like in December we think we know who's winning every division, and and that sometimes turns out to be silly, but, but other times we know who the really great teams are. And I think we're seeing that play out. But then the season starts, and hope springs eternal. And optimism reigns all throughout spring training, and March 29th rolls around, and all right, everybody's zero and zero. I think we spend, I think we spend too much time figuring out what we think about these to then just ignore everything after opening day. Oh, sure. So I'm I'm building this argument that I'm still standing by. If you can't tell, I'm digging my heels in. I'm building this based off what we learned last year and in the winter, and now I'm adding in the first month of the season, first five weeks of the season as as seasoning on top of that. Okay, we know where they are in the standings. We know what we think about them. Maybe we have to adjust for some teams, but I just don't think you can go over dramatic in the first four weeks either way. I prefer to see this as as reprioritizing your expectations. Okay. So the most positive okay. thing I can say is you reprioritize your expectations. That's like we should get a T-shirt for the state fair. That's what I. That's that's my because because you because you're right. I'm not done with them. Yeah, yeah, Dave yeah. Winfield. You, Dave Winfield used to call slumps. He said they're not slumps. They are periods of statistical adjustment. Sure, sure, right, right. And so there's a long it, one here. Um, that should be a t- state fair T-shirt too, if we're being honest. Period of statistical adjustment. One thing that Judd and I were were debating, Judd has written off Kyle Gibson, mm. is just now getting back into maybe mode. Um, I needed to see a lot this season from him. I think, and, and credit, if, if Kyle Gibson has turned a corner, Derek was the first one to jump on that in August last year. It's pretty rare that a pitcher changes his trajectory at age 30. It doesn't happen very often, unless that pitcher came up Late, if a guy's been in the big leagues for as long as Gibson has, yeah, you pretty much are what you are for the most part at age thirty. I think we have to at least consider that a change in regime, a change in coaching, and a change in philosophy has led to some sustainable things here. I mean, Kyle Gibson is getting a lot more swings and misses. His strikeout rate is almost double this year. What it, and maybe it comes down, but yeah. uh, almost double this year what it's been the, the previous few seasons. So. And and I'm preaching to the choir here because you were one of the first people to call this last year. Need to see more, but it, it, it's an interesting 
set of circumstances here for Kyle Gibson. It's not fluky. Totally. I, I think that Kyle Gibson's a better pitcher. He's flat out a better pitcher than we came to know. And that change started mid year last year. He got sent out to the minors a couple times. And I think it was I think it was a moment of reckoning for him. It, I don't even know if I'm using that phrase right. But I, I think That's they deep, but sat sure. him down and were like, Hey man, like what what do you want out of this thing? What's your where is your career headed? You want to do things a certain way, and he's been this sinker slider guy his entire career. It worked at Mizzou. He was a first-round draft pick. It worked up through the minors. He shot up to the Twins. And then it just kind of, like, didn't work. There are just good hitters in the big leagues, and they can take those pitches and really drive them, and he's not striking guys out. And not that he had a walks problem, but he had a contact problem. He had a loud contact problem. I, that's This is my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think you get humbled a little bit. You're a big league veteran, and you get sent down to the minor leagues, and you have to start to think, well, what? What do I have to do here? I've been doing it this way. I've been working so hard. There's no question that he's put the work in, but it's just the results aren't there. So I think last year he went back to the drawing board. He changed a little bit. I wrote about this. You mentioned in August, Phil. He started using the four-seam fastball, which he pretty rarely used. It was just kind of a, uh, I should show this every once in a while, two-way. This is my driving force pitch. I am a four-seam fastball guy who also has that running two-seamer, and it plays up both of his breaking pitches and the changeup. Kyle Gibson, to me, now has the stuff of a mid-rotation starter, and he's he's starting to implement it, and we've seen that the past few starts. Do you think he adjusted mainly, or is this, yeah, he adjusted, but somebody got to him, too? I think it's both. Because it does appear as if the, the approach changed drastically enough that somebody approached him and said, Kyle, all the stuff that you were taught for years here, mm-hmm. let's put that let's put that aside and let's try something new. I think it's both. I, I think it builds on what he's been taught for years because he's still, you listen to him talk about, and, and it's not just a Twins thing, you hear Joe, Jake Odorizzi talk about this too, early count outs. Gibson's philosophy comes from the Mizzou pitching staff, and I think that their philosophy is three pitches or less. Which is ridiculous, by the way. I'm fine with it. If if but then you're but then by definition you're pitching to contact three pitches or less. If you're trying to say get ahead instantly, don't dilly dally around, and then be the aggressor in the count. And look, if it's four pitches, well, fine, whatever. But if, if you're but if, if you, you take it to the logical extreme, I it's dumb because then you'd be up o two and be like, well, I don't want to follow it off, so here I'll give up a dong. No, it's drive the count, be the aggressor, get to favorable pitchers counts, and that opens up your entire arsenal. So I'm actually okay with it if you interpret it correctly. I think Gibson is now building on top of that, plus he adds some swing and miss stuff, plus he sets up his secondary stuff with a much better fastball, but, which is the four-seamer. So, so here's the thing, though, and this is I brought up the Anthony Swarzak quotes from like a month or two ago, where he talk, and, and that was a second-round pick by the Twins, and he had a mid-'90s fastball mm-hmm. as a young kid, and the Twins developed him into this Hey, we want 90 pitch complete games. That's what we're looking to do. We're looking to pound the zone early and we're looking to we're looking to use the second baseman and the left fielder mm. to help convert those batted balls into outs. And and he just started throwing sinker type pitches into the swing zones of hitters because that's what you do as a Twins pitcher and by the end of it he was unusable and had to go pitch in Korea mm-hmm. and then learn how to get swings and misses with other organizations. So, I think with Gibson, like it's very telling that Kyle Gibson has the worst walk rate of his entire career so far this year. And he's also having the best season of his career. It's not that walking hitters is advantageous, but it's that any pitching coach from any philosophy would advise you to get ahead in the count. Mm -hmm. So that's a baseline prerequisite. It's once you're ahead in the count, are you still pitching to that contact? Or 
like Gibson is this year, are you throwing stuff that's that's more chase worthy? Yeah. Um, are you willing to walk a guy in order to get that swing and a miss? You know, five times out of ten. And and it looks to me like he's more willing to throw stuff out of the zone or 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 make hitters take a good pitch that's yeah. breaking out of the zone or moving out of the zone. Well, I talked to him last year about that very same premise, and it's a it's a fine line. Like you're towing a razor's edge here with that point, Phil, because yes, you want chase stuff, but if you're only featuring chase stuff, you're becoming a walk artist, and that becomes problematic for a guy like Gibson. What he's trying to do is get outs in the zone, and I actually applaud him for that. I think he's going to get hit hard sometimes. I think he's going to give up some walks, but if he's attacking the strike zone, if he lives there, and then take what he says, which is, I need to live in the strike zone, and yes, some chase stuff is great, but he's not actively chasing swing and miss. I I know that to be true for a fact. But then you watch him pitch, and it's like, when he's up 0-2, what's he doing? A left-handed batter, he might run that little front door two-seamer, start it at his shoulder, and have it try to dive back over the plate. Or he's starting it off the plate and having it run away so there's a 0% chance of allowed contact. That's that's impressive use of a two-seam fastball after you've set it up. He can do that with any of his pitches right now, I think. That's what I saw yesterday in his start, which was you have set up this hitter to be expecting maybe three different pitches. And then if you drop that slider in the dirt, well, you've got him mind-melted. And all right, he had to protect against that fastball. Now you get swing and miss. Now you get chase stuff. That's what I think I'm seeing from Kyle Gibson is that He's getting ahead in the count, and then he's driving the action. Yeah, and I think just to, just to wrap this point, we got to take a break. We'll come back talk more twins with what more. The twins for 15 years philosophically were all about not walking opposing hitters. And yeah. again, I'm not saying that, say. like you should look to walk hitters because it's bad if you put hitters on base at a high rate and then you're not also coming back with the other you know, end of it, which is strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Then it's it's going to be a problem. But for so long, it was like the only thing pitchers thought about was. Got to throw the ball in the zone. Throw the ball in the zone. Got to make sure we're not walking anybody. Not walking anybody. You know what? Sometimes it's okay to walk. It's okay sure. to throw pitches out of the zone and make hitters, uh, it, it make hitters see a wider zone for which you're throwing the baseball yeah. into. So let's come back, talk more twins. Derek Wetmore is hanging out with us from the Touch Em All podcast and 1500ESPN.com. Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, well, that just makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> 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 yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Tune in Tuesdays at 6 p.m. for the Adrian Heath Show presented by Heineken. Each week on Tuesdays at 6, Jamie Watson and Adrian Heath will break down Minnesota United FC, MLS soccer, and much more all right here on 1500 ESPN. Thank you, David. TCL Broadcast Studios talking twins with Derek Wetmore. Check out his work at 1500ESPN.com. Has five thoughts off the twins' White Sox from Sunday. Or don't, whatever. Well, no. you, you probably should. I mean, you <laughs> might be curious. I don't know. <laughs> hey, uh, so you, you are going to publish a column with eight reasons for optimism mm. about the, the twins still. Got to balance it out. And, well, here's the thing. You don't necessarily have to go down the path of, of buying into the fact they're a playoff team, but that doesn't mean that you need, need to completely bail. So give me your, your top reasons for optimism and to continue to watch this yeah. team as they uh, start a so two-gamer against the Cardinals. Before you do this, okay, I, I feel like you guys are framing this like, okay, if you're a Twins fan, you're going to watch the games. So like, this, like people right, are right. going to watch games. I was just going to say that. To so, say that, like, that like, people are on the cusp of not watching a Twins game is an unfair characteristic but of what Twins fans are sitting right now. But is it? Because I've had two types of people ask me these questions in the first four or five weeks of the season. Hell, how are the Twins doing? Oh, I kind of like, you know, there's the, I watch every game, 
what are you guys going to talk about on Mackie and Judd yeah, this no. week? But then, but then, that's who you're talking about, Phil. There are the people who are Vikings fans or just kind of like, you know, whatever. They're Minnesota sports people who watch 10 games a year and they kind of want to know, like, oh, should I like, should I, do I need to start paying attention? No, I agree. I think my question is, is this list eight reasons for optimism that they can get to the playoffs no. this year? Sorry, that, that ship has sailed. It's eight, <laughs> it's eight, it's, it's eight reasons to remain engaged. That's right. These are I got you, I got reasons it. why I'm watching this yes. team, and I'm despite the fact that I told you they're not going to make the playoffs And I will continue year. to watch them no matter how horse bleep they might <laughs> get or how good. Bingo. Okay, you go through your half-optimistic list, and then later I'll give you eight reasons why they can actually make the playoffs. I'll right. go down that. T- that's Panic and Homer, baby. They might be, they might be pretty Panic similar and Homer. lists, actually. To, uh, to rule them out at 13 and 17 is very special. Spicy. It's very it's a spicy. spicy. Take it's a spicy take, and what do I win when I'm right? A little mustard. That's fine. A little you, extra Dijon on there. I like that horsey's horseradish horse sauce. You, you may right, very well be right. Sorry. So reasons to stay engaged, and this is what I'm telling the people who are like going to watch their ten games a year, and they're just deciding should I just watch zero games this year? And I say no. Like this is still a good, fun, and interesting baseball team. And it starts at the top with Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. Like, Buxton could be back kind of soon. What's he going to be? How does he develop? Does the injury impact his development curve? So you can like, watch real to serious? see if those guys are in Fort Myers or if they're in Rochester on their rehab stands. Right, It'll be great. Because exactly right. they certainly aren't playing for the, the Twins. The Sano storyline to me is incredibly It's juicy. on the list. I think it's great. It's on the list. I heard you use the word He's soap a opera. Soap opera right yes, now. it. that's accurate. Second on my list is another combined one, but Fernando Romero and Jose Barreos have some filthy stuff, and if they can harness it and become two guys that are mid to top of the rotation starters, that means something for this year, that means something for next year, that means something for the year after that. I'm watching that. I'm I'm not missing a Barreo start. I'm not missing a Romero start. Rest of the way. That is going to be a compelling development, whatever whatever happens with those two guys. So that's those are two. I kind of combined them. But uh, Max Kepler, I'm just about willing to admit I was wrong that Max Kepler can't hit lefties. He's crushing everything right now. He is one of the best things the Twins have going for them. He seems like one of the more, just in terms of professional and diligent, and maybe I'm stereotyping his stoic personality, but he just feels like a pro, like a guy who wasn't going to go through his whole career without wiping out that lefty problem. Like he probably spent the entire offseason fixing that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, and credit to him. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of development that if you are a, uh, you know, like a mid-pack team, you need those things to break your way. And it looks like the Kepler things break in their way. <laughs> They've had a lot of things not break their way in the first five weeks of the season. Max Kepler looks like a shining reason for optimism right now. And then after that, it's just like individual players that I'm I'm really curious about. Rosario? One of them's Rosario's not on my list, but he could have made my okay. list. Uh, I think I know what I think of Eddie Rosario. Phenomenally talented hitter. Now he's using the whole field. Line drives everywhere. Makes you scratch your head in left field. Like I, th- <laughs> I think I know that about Eddie Rosario. And Jorge Polanco is on this list because when he comes back, what's he going to be? His career, like he was one of the reasons for optimism this winter, and then that got washed away immediately. We don't talk about Jorge Polanco because he's not here, but like, Eventually, he's going to be back. What is his career? And then the final three are just like, these three guys, they get talked about a lot, but they don't get enough appreciation. Like, you should have an appreciation day for Eduardo Escobar. He's the best thing going for the Twins right now. You should have an appreciation day for Brian Dozier. And if this thing goes off the rail, trade fodder. We can talk about that in months to come. But Brian Dozier is a great baseball player. And as much as we talk about him, I don't know how much we appreciate that. Would you be more likely to 
trade Brian Dozier in the next two months or approach him with a four-year contract extension? Maybe this is for another segment another day, but just quick answer for now. My quick my quick answer would be trade him because I'm worried about the aging curve, but that's... And he probably... I mean, you'd have to blow him away at this point for him to not just yeah, go seek him, out go, free agency. Yeah, if you're him, months, right? go see what everybody else thinks of you. You know what the twins think of you. Not enough to extend you. For so, sure. Not enough to even really converse, Like, right? what's the loyalty there, right? So if I'm, if I'm the player, don't fault him at all for exploring that. And the final one, this needs to happen... I don't know where he is next year. I don't know if he's playing baseball. I don't know if he's playing in another city. I don't know if he's playing for the Twins. The Twins need to have an official Joe Maurer Appreciation Day. He's reached 28 starts this year. He's reached base 26 times. He's the best contact hitter in the lineup. Best approach Ooh. at the plate. You talk about professional, Phil. An Appreciation Day would, would mean that, that this is the it plan be to be the end. That this is it. You need to have some kind if of you formal, that, thank you, Joe Maurer. What an incredible career. Whatever happens next. Or do next. you do that when, when he comes back here with KC next April? April There's, 12th, okay. Joe Maurer Appreciation There's Day. zero <laughs> chance he extends his career with the Kansas City Royals. Harmon Killebrew did. Exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. And I think they had a Harmon Appreciation go, Day in 1975, Derek Wetmore. It'll be fun. This will be a f- nice. uh, fun summer. Uh, Wetmore, 1500ESPN.com, the Touch Em All podcast feed where you can find all kinds of stuff every week. And when we come back, Judd, we're going to call an audible. The Mr. Fix-It segment today is going to be eight reasons why the Twins can make the playoffs. <laughs> How to fix the Twins when oh, we goody. come back. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 